0: Good evening, friends. Uh, we're closing in on Holy Week. In fact, about three more weeks. So for the next three midweeks, we're going to take a look at the Passion of Christ, not the movie, but the biblical account. We're going to look at the events in the last 12 hours of Jesus' life, looking for some spiritual truth that we can meditate on so we can experience his healing power in our lives. It opens with the words of Scripture taken from the prophet of Isaiah. And here's a complete verse from Isaiah 53:5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you catch that? By his wounds we are healed. This phrase refers not only to his death on the cross, but to the entire passion event. We're going to take a look at this story from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, primarily from Mark, though. These accounts never contradict each other, but they do emphasize different points from time to time. It's kind of like reading about the same event in two different newspapers or two different news channels. Both articles are accurate, but maybe one emphasizes different aspects of the story. We're going to blend all four gospel accounts together to discover this story in complete detail. And each week for these next three weeks, we're going to learn something new about Christ's suffering and our own suffering and how to experience his healing. Today I want to read about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read this from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. And they came to an olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be filled with horror and deep distress. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell face down on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you stay awake and watch with me even one hour? Keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed, repeating his pleadings. Again he returned to them and found them sleeping, for they just couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Still sleeping, still resting, enough. The time has come. I, the Son of Man, am betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. See, my betrayer is here. Now, there are three lessons from this story I want to focus on today. Here's lesson number one. Jesus was alone in his agony. I want you to notice the phrases that Mark uses in verses 33 and 34. I began to be filled with horror, deep distress. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. If you remember that that, uh, Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, there's some dialogue in the scene you might remember. Peter says to James and John, I've never seen him like this before. Now, this isn't from the Bible. The writer imagined imagined it, but it's pretty believable. Peter, James, and John were seeing a side to Jesus that they'd not previously seen. Previously, the disciples had seen Jesus meet every event with confidence. They'd seen him approach every problem with power. When they were faced with the task of defeating a 5,000, Jesus was not filled with horror. When they were on the sea in the midst of a mighty storm, Jesus wasn't overcome with distress. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wasn't crushed with grief. And in each of these situations, he had responded with faith and power, and in each situation, a miracle occurred. I mean, they'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him still in angry sea, calm a raging storm. They'd seen him heal the sick and give sight to the blind. They'd seen him raise the dead, and now they saw him filled with horror and deep distress They heard him say, my soul is crushed with grief. They had never seen him like this before. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew who he was. He knew the scriptures. He knew what he had to do. He had been telling his disciples this, but they didn't completely understand. In fact, one thing we're going to see throughout these next three weeks is how completely misunderstood Jesus was. By the Jewish religious leaders, by the Romans, and even his own disciples. Just a few days earlier, I'm reading from Matthew 20 here, verses 18 to 19, he told his disciples, when we get to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They're going to sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, whipped, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, he told them that as plainly as he could what would happen. And the disciples heard him, and I'm sure that they had hoped against hope that somehow it wouldn't take place exactly that way. I mean, maybe he was speaking allegorically. Maybe this was some kind of a parable. Maybe things would turn out differently. But when he entered Jerusalem triumphantly on the colt of a donkey with a cheering crowd shouting, Hosanna, and Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, I'm pretty sure the disciples let themselves forget, at least for the moment, those predictions had made about his death. But now in an olive grove called Gethsemane in the darkness of the night, they saw Jesus experience horror, deep distress, and crushing grief. And Jesus found himself all alone. He asked his disciples to pray for him, but they fell asleep. He knew that soon they'd abandon him and that he'd be mocked and beaten and tortured and murdered, and he knew he'd face it alone. But here's a crucial point I want you to get. Jesus was alone in his agony but you are never alone in yours. Jesus' followers let him down, but he'll never let you down. His followers abandon him, but he'll never abandon you. In fact, his very reason for being in the garden at night is so that you won't have to face life on your own. You can face every day, every challenge, every crisis, every temptation, every moment of grief with him beside you. Jesus endured his suffering alone, but you don't have to. He'll be with you. And since he suffered, he knows what you're going through. Since he faced temptation, he understands what it's like. That's why in Hebrews 4.15, the writer says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he's faced all of the temptations we do, yet he did not sin. Friends, when you face times of sorrow, when you face your own private Gethsemane, you can call on him and he will hear you. I mean, listen again to the words that God spoke through King David in Psalm 50, verse 15. Trust me in your times of trouble, and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. God has also promised in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never fail you, I will never forsake you. So the first lesson we learn in Gethsemane is that Jesus was alone in his agony so that you will never have to be. He's promised to be with you. Here's lesson number two. Sometimes the only way out is to go all the way through. Verses 35 and 36. He went a little further and fell down face. Fell face down on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. You know, Jesus prayed along these lines for about an hour. When he returned to Peter, James, and John, he found them asleep. He asked them in verse thirty-seven, Couldn't you stay awake and watch with me even one hour? Well, Matthew continues the story. This is in chapter 26. He says, again, he left them and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away until I drink it, your will be done. He returned to them again and found them sleeping, for they just couldn't keep their eyes open. Luke says in chapter 22, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great, great drops of blood. At last he stood up and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. So let's go back to Mark's gospel here in verses 41 and 42. When he returned to them the third time, he said, still sleeping, still resting, enough. The time has come, I, the son of man, am betrayed into the hands of sinners. Oh, let's be going. See, my betrayer is here. See, the cup that he mentions here refers both the physical suffering he must endure, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the death on the cross. It also refers to the spiritual suffering he was about to endure. Not only did he go through horrendous physical pain at the hands of <clears throat> Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers, but he also bore the weight of the sins of the entire world upon his body. He literally experienced complete separation from God. Abandon was the word that he used. His death paid the punishment for our sins. Paul made reference to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As Jesus prayed in the garden, he knew what lay before him. He knew this was God's plan. He was filled with horror at the thought of enduring it. His spirit was crushed with grief, and so he prayed, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. In Gethsemane, Jesus meets that dreadful silence of heaven. There's no reassuring voice from heaven, no dove descending. God's already spoken and his son must obey. And in that dreadful silence is the answer that Jesus seeks. The only way out is to go all the way through. And again, friends, even though we will never face a task as daunting as the one Jesus faced, we're going to face challenges in our lives. There are going to be times when we de- we drink from the cup of sorrow ourselves. There will be times when the only way out is to go all the way through. Maybe some of you remember the story of Johnny. That's Jer- Johnny Erickson Tada. Uh, as a teenager in the 1960s, she was injured in a diving accident and was paralyzed from the neck down. She's been in a wheelchair ever since. In the months following the accident, she prayed for deliverance, but deliverance didn't come. and She prayed for healing, but... Healing didn't come. She even prayed to die, but death didn't come either. And during this time, she heard that what she called the dreadful silence from heaven. And she learned that the only way out of this situation was to go all the way through it. She responded with obedience and surrendered herself to living out the will of God. Now, Johnny's accomplished so much in the past four decades, and she's witnessed for Jesus and countries all over the world. She's written a number of best-selling books. She has become an activist for the rights of those with disabilities, and her daily radio program is heard on 850-some stations. And though she has some level of fame, her celebrity didn't change the fact that physical pain is her constant companion. And a simple infection, which is a mere convenience for most of us, can put her in the hospital for months. And yet she keeps moving forward. She keeps serving God. See, there are times when suffering is inevitable and the only way out is to go all the way through it. This is what Jesus experienced in Gethsemane and sometimes we must face the same call in our lives. When I meditate on Jesus' experience in the Garden of Gethsemane or when I consider the challenges that, you know, someone like Johnny Erickson Tata has faced, I wondered how in the world could I do it? Where would I find the strength to be obedient to such a calling? Well, let's go on to Lesson 3. Prayer gives you power over temptation. Listen to the words that Jesus spoke to Peter, James, and John in verse 38. He said, keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing enough, the body is weak. Now, other translations say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, indicating that Jesus is talking about more than just our physical bodies. He's referring to our sinful nature. However, the key to what he's saying here, I think, is that the lack of prayer makes us vulnerable to temptation, and conversely, an abundance of prayer gives us power over it. Jesus is telling his disciples to pray so that they'll have power over temptation, so that they'll have power strength over their weaknesses. And this is exactly what he did. As he entered the garden that night, filled with the horror and the deep distress, his soul crushed with grief, he found the power to obey and to overcome temptation, and he did it through prayer. Now, I don't know really how long he stayed in the garden. My guess is he prayed two or three hours, but I do know that he prayed until the power came. Now, one of my favorite moments in that movie, The Passion of Christ, is the conclusion of this scene. While Jesus is lying face down on the ground praying, he's approached by the tempter, the devil, who says, it's too much for one man to do, you cannot do it alone. And as these words are spoken, the snake crawls out from under uh, Satan's robe and slithers across Jesus' hand. A moment later, Jesus stands to his feet, his face becomes resolute, and he stomps on the head of the snake. And you know at that moment that he has won the battle. He's willing to drink the cup. Now, this bit of imagery isn't in the Gospels, but it's taken from the book of Genesis where God speaks to Satan in a prophecy about Jesus in Genesis 3.15, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, Satan's head has indeed been crushed. He's a, he's a defeated foe because Jesus has won the war on Golgotha's cross. He won the first battle in Gethsemane, and it was through prayer that he found the power to obey. And you know something? It's the same for you and me. I mean, are you struggling with temptation? Then Pray. Are you struggling with courage to do God's will? Then pray. Do you want to see Christ formed in you? Then pray. A couple of weeks back, one of the most committed Christians I know said to me, you know, it used to make me mad when people would dismiss a problem by saying, well, just pray about it. I mean, it sounded so trite, so canned until I actually tried it. I found out that when I really make something a matter of prayer, prayer really does work. His friends, prayer removes the obstacles to obedience. Sometimes those obstacles are external. Through prayer, God will sometimes change circumstances and shape the course of events so that we can do what we need to do. Just as often, though, the obstacles are internal. Through prayer, God changes us. Through prayer, he gives us the will to obey, the courage to obey, and indeed the power to obey. When we submit to him in this Gethsemane type of prayer, Not just saying, now I lay me down to sleep, but literally pouring out our soul to him. He meets us in the hour of our desperation gives us the strength to go on. Are you facing challenges that are bigger than you? Burdens that are more than you can bear? Are you struggling with the ability to obey? Then do what Jesus did. Enter your own garden of Gethsemane. You won't be alone. He'll be there with you and pour out your soul to him an hour, maybe two, maybe three, until you receive from God the strength to go on. You know, it's through prayer that we experience the power to overcome temptation. Now, let me make one last observation here. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke each wrote about Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. But how did they know about it? I mean, where did they get the details about Jesus falling face down on the ground and about the specific words that he prayed? Well, they didn't get it from Peter, James, and John. These guys were sawing logs. I mean, they were fast asleep. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus left them and went a little further away to pray. So how did the gospel writers know the specifics? I think Jesus must have told them. After his resurrection, when Jesus met with his disciples, his mother, Mary Magdalene, the other followers, I think Jesus must have told them the details of the events of that lonely night. I can imagine that between Easter and the day of his ascension into heaven, they talked a lot about the events of that night. And as each disciple was restored, you know, Peter for denying him, Thomas for doubting, the others for abandoning him, they, they learned something about the power of God's forgiveness. And I'm sure as they sat eating and laughing and fellowshipping with the risen Christ, that hours, those hours of his passion seemed like a long, long time ago. So here's something for your meditation tonight. It takes a Gethsemane experience to fulfill the call of God on your life. But if you will pray as Jesus prayed, no matter how crushed your soul may be, God, not my will, but yours be done, you will find the courage and the strength to follow him in obedience. May God bless that in Jesus' name. Amen.